Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Twenty-fourth of February, Thursday. An old crescent moon hangs in a sky swept clean by a week of winds. On my car radio, news of a more brutal storm to the east. Darkness falls with the rising sun. This is the narrowboat Erica, narrow casting into a thick darkness on a night of brittle star-filled light. There's a wind edged with ice, so come into the warmth for a while. I think we could all do with a bit of company at the moment. So welcome aboard. I'm glad you came. It's been a bit of a rough week, hasn't it? In so many senses of that word, and it's difficult to know how to respond, and I very nearly didn't. But we need these times, and this is the whole point of this podcast, recognising that no matter what the world throws at us, we're not alone. The little widgeon here has been a lot on my mind recently. He came, swept in on the roaring roll of an earlier storm at the beginning of February, although it feels much longer ago than that. A solitary stranger, blown in, cast adrift upon a landscape so foreign to it. Alone, without the wheeling, piping flights of his own kind. A bird shipwrecked on the shores of an alien world. How different the light must be here. Not the large, low, never-ending expanses of sky of the eastern coastlands and the tidal margins, laced with creeks and the resilient loneliness of wind-haunted mudflats. Sea lavender, samphire, and the flame of gorse. I've not heard his call, his whistle. Does he? And if he does, does he listen for the answering calls of his brothers, waiting in vain for those fluting notes far distant to tell him he's not alone? A few episodes back, in The Solitary Stranger. I talked about how the legend of the seven whistlers describes the search of six whistlers, widgeon, for their lost comrade, and that once they are reunited, the world will end. Themes of loss, loneliness, grief, and restoration. How we need these stories again today. Stories lived out in big and small ways. And I think so many of us feel 
some connection with the experience of our lost widgeon recently. Waking up, finding ourselves in a forbidding world, the old securities ripped away by storms both physical and figurative, the reassuring familiarities are lost. We too are finding that we've been cast adrift, shipwrecked in a world not of our choosing, a world that is alien, unknown and difficult to read. And our values challenged, our compasses spinning. How beautifully but devastatingly appropriate that last week one of my pole star oaks crashed to the ground under the onslaught of Storm Eunice. One limb still survives, but it's torn and battered and ripped. For how many of us this last week has seen our pole stars topple, leaving us under an unrecognisable heaven, jewelled with constellations as yet without name or shape. And the night feels darker, more unknown. And will the sun ever rise again? As for hundreds already, it won't ever do. And we can smile and say it'll be okay. But we really know it's not okay. How do we enter and navigate our way through such an all-encompassing thick darkness? I post a picture on Twitter of damson buds just about to flower. For me, it's a profound statement of hope, but I'm aware that it also sits so uneasily alongside everything else that floods my timeline. A glib, panglossian sentimentality that avoids the uncomfortable truths that we are all facing. And yet, at the same time, we need that hope. And it's neither glib nor empty sentimentality. Tom Hennon captures so articulately the disorientation that this type of darkness can bring in his When Night Nears. When Night Nears by Tom Hennon Light leaves the earth a piece at a time. One hand letting go of the tree branch while the other hangs on longer slowly losing its grip until it understands no help is coming and at last lets go. It falls into the darkness, taking with it people and dogs, pine trees and butterflies, all the things we are so used to looking at in the daylight. What is left is the dark that feels like a body when you reach out and the stars that glint so far off, you wonder what they are good for. My students are worried. Thursday morning, as the news was still breaking, it was really all they wanted to talk about. And then during the break and after the lecture, the topic of conversation returned, and the strain was so apparent 
I'd recognized it before, in our Muslim students, after the terrorist bombings and the inevitable backlash they knew they were about to face at the bus stops in the supermarkets, walking down the streets. And on Thursday morning, the laughter in the room was just a fraction too loud, too fragile, too brittle, the shine in the eyes too bright. Markers of stress, fear, anxiety. But I understood the need to talk, to articulate, to process. I also understood the danger of that need, the paralysis of talking in endless circles. And so we talked that morning about another community, 2,000 years earlier, suffering the oppression of living in another occupied nation, destruction and a nation brutally dispersed, groups trying to make sense of it, groups trying to work out how to survive, parallels were obvious. The use and the reframing of narratives, competing histories being appealed to for justification of barbarous acts. It served to distract and to provide that needed sense of distance that history can give us so that we can understand how we are feeling. They laughed about whether they would actually get to finish their degrees. And it was a joke, but they've already experienced how quickly the world can change and certain plans dissolve. This time, it feels different, though. Covid at least for the first phase, brought us all together. We could live by the cultural myth that we were all in it together. And strangers could ask us if we were all right and we knew that they meant it. That was until we learnt that however powerful myths are, they can be betrayed, rejected, swapped for other darker ones. And this time we approach a darkness entirely of our own human making and the myth of violence and aggression, the survival of the fittest that we've idolised for 150 years, hard-baking it into every element of our culture and the modern world is coming back to claim its own. And we're finding little comfort in it. It's as if we've fallen into a world of darkness and night, and as we walk into that night, we're overwhelmed by the depth of its darkness. Our disorientation, our sense of loss and our sense of lostness. And the pole star is gone, crashing to earth in the great storm of our age. A little widgeon. Is this anything like you feel? Could you reach out to us in your own way to help us fly home, even though your own wings weren't strong enough to do it for you? And so every time I leave the boat or look out of the window, I try to find him. For in the darkest of our nights, here is one that knows how we feel. The lost seventh of the seven whistlers listening in the dark for the answering calls. February has been a hard month for me, personally and professionally. 
I can't and it wouldn't be right for me to go into details, but I feel beleaguered, drained, angry, frustrated, exhausted, scared, sick. Part of it is that I and a colleague are being discredited and ridiculed nationally for taking the subjects we teach and the welfare of our students seriously. It's unfair and I know it's part of a much bigger agenda and I'm not being targeted personally. We just became easy targets. But for the second time this month, it's difficult not to feel it personally. And I'm instructed not to discuss it and so can't give you the details. And again, I understand why there is sense in it. But it also makes me feel so utterly defenceless. I refuse to call it a crisis, because crisis sounds overdramatic, sensationalist for something few will take note of. And it's nothing compared to the nightmare of what people are facing in Ukraine, or those who have sat in the doctor's office to receive the worst of news, or the many, many thousands dealing with despair and tragedy. But I also know that I'm not being honest to myself. For in truth, for me, This is a crisis. The all too physical responses that I'm feeling in my body and in my mind tell me I'm really only trying to deceive myself. I find myself in a world that I was not born into, and I don't know how to navigate it or survive in it. My night sky has no pole star, and it is silent. There is no ring of the answering call of six whistlers looking for me. Donna's been an absolute rock, and a light that shines so strong and so bright in the darkness of the crooked and perverse universe in which I find myself, and then his presence has been a continuous source of comfort. But to be honest, I decided earlier that I couldn't do a podcast this week. I'm having difficulty concentrating with what's happening globally and personally. And what can I possibly say? How do I deal with a Twitter timeline that is either filled with images that haunt me through the night, which are also interspersed with things which seem so horribly banal and trivial? In the face of this, how can I go out and talk about the promise of budding flowers and spring lambs when we face such awfulness? Best a distraction, a sentimental sticking plaster on a gaping wound, or worse an attempt at pseudo-wisdom, masquerading as self-help therapy. But that's also not right. It's true, I've never wanted to try to present Nighttime on Still Waters as a kind of oracle, dispensing wisdom and therapy, as if I'm some kind of guru. I'm no expert whether that be on boating, canal life, natural history, or life in general, I have no answers, and at times like this, I'm at a loss as to what to say that is not some banal truism or cod wisdom that you can get from an internet meme. However, the whole point of these times is to share with you this small circle of light and to acknowledge the darkness of our nights in all their sometimes appalling and frightening beauty. And that, out there, outside my window, 
in the darkness, our communities we live among, and that we are part of, non-human communities, or to borrow from Robin Wall, Kimmerer and the Patotami tradition, more than human communities. And they remind us of the much larger worlds and realities into which we are thrown, and into which we have our part, and into which we belong. Our pole stars may have toppled, but new ones will begin to emerge. That is their nature, and it is our nature as humans to find them and invest in them something of ourselves. Random patterns forming constellations. Constellations forming stories. Stories forming wisdom for us to live by. And the widgeon, of course the widgeon. The widgeon foraging the new growth grasses in the late winter sunshine with a small group of mallard. Preening his feathers, stretching a wing and leg. I once read that This is often a sign of relaxation and contentment in birds, particularly chickens. This morning, the air was cut with frost, but the sun was warm, and he dozed in the middle of the water, the current slowly turning him in circles, head tucked right back. I threw him some duck food, although we'd known for a long time that he's not interested in it, and a couple of ducks swam quickly past to get it, as a little black eye flashed open. He continued to just float, bobbing on the water, the sun as thick as syrup, floating in a world of his own, and for a while, everything else faded away. For he may be alone. He may have found himself in a world to which he did not belong. But there, in the sunshine, there on the grassy banks of the canal side, there in those stolen moments, he is in a world of his own. And what a world that world is. And if, just if, the voices of the other six whistlers are imminent, just beyond the oral horizon, they can wait. Just for these snatched moments. There is no hurry. We might well be anxious and scared. The darkness of night is frightening. But it's also part of our day. It's just as much our environment as the daytime. We just seem to fear it more, and therefore try to control it and repress it. And when we can't, it appears threatening, fearful. And we have succeeded so well that many people in cities and suburbia will live their lives without ever seeing the Milky Way and the night sky. And so night and darkness have become things to avoid, to shy away from. Darkness is too much of a mirror for us to bear. Like silence, it robs us of the veneer of our progress and knowledge. 
it heightens an awareness of our limitations. Walk in a wood in pitch dark, and you quickly learn to walk slowly, humbly, feeling your way, walking like a toddler or an infant, each step a conscious, tentative act. Darker nights teach us important lessons to learn. They teach us humility. Wendell Berry so eloquently explains it. One winter night nearly twenty years ago, I was in the woods with the coon hunters, and we were walking towards the dogs who had moved out to the point of the bluff where the valley of the cane run enters the valley of the river. The footing was difficult, and one of the hunters was having trouble with his lantern. The flame would run up and smoke the globe so that the light it gave became obscured more than it illuminated, an obstacle between his eyes and the path. At last he cursed it and flung it down into a hollow. Its little light went looping down through the trees and disappeared. And there was a distant tinkle of glass as the globe shattered. After that, he saw better, and went along the bluff easier than before, and lighter too. Not long ago, walking up there, I came across his old lantern, lying, rusted in the crease of the hill, half buried already in the siftings of the slope, and I let it lie. But I've kept the memory that it renewed. I've made it one of my myths of the hill. It has come to be truer to me now than it was then. For I have turned aside from much that I knew, and have given up much that went before. What will not bring me more certainty than before to where I am is of no consequence. I have stepped out of the clearing into the woods. I have thrown away my lantern and I can see the dark. And it's precisely this theme that Berry picks up in one of his poems, To Know Dark. To Know the Dark, by Wendell Berry. To go in the dark with a light is to know the light. To know the dark, go dark. Go without sight, and find that the dark too blooms and sings, and is travelled by dark feet and dark wings. The world may appear to have gone dark for a bit, and it is frightening and confusing. And may you find new pole stars and learn to read new mythologies in the nighttime constellations to guide your path, and find times of late winter sun warmth and reflected light. There's a cold wind tonight, and tonight we float on starlight. This is the narrowboat Erica, wishing you a safe, peaceful, Restful night. Good night. 
Temperature outside 3.2 degrees inside 25 degrees Humidity 67% Dew point minus 1 degree Wind direction southeast Wind strength 12 miles per hour Barometric pressure 1025.4 steady Cloud cover 7% Cloud ceiling None Precipitation Zero Moon phase 18% Waning crescent Day length 10 hours 41 minutes Sunset 17.41 Skycasting 6.58